welcome to Cornerstone. My name's Dan and I'm the lead pastor here and uh, uh, happy Mother's Day. I wonder whether any of you have inherited an heirloom, something of meaning that's been passed down from generation to generation. Sometimes heirlooms can be valuable, worth lots of money. Sometimes they can be ordinary, of little worth, but of great value nevertheless. For example, a watch or a diary, a journal, military medals, um, a piece of furniture, jewelry, even something like a baking tin. You see, the value in the heirloom rests in the value of the person who gave it, not in the worth of the object itself. What about a rib? Would you consider a rib to be an heirloom? Well, Dr. Bruce Honeyman, who lived in Hanover County, Virginia, died in April 1824. Um, he He was an accomplished medical doctor who had immigrated from Scotland to America in 1774. He died in 1824, and upon his death, newspapers across the country printed a strange excerpt from his will, which reads like this. I also give and bequeath to my son a human rib which will be found in a small trunk in my chest with my earnest request that he will carefully keep the said rib, which is of James V, King of Scotland, and transmit it carefully to his descendants. Now, regrettably, no known portions of the rib exist today. What I just shared was from a a 2010 blog published by the Historical Society of Pennsylvania. And my point, I guess, is that if a human rib can become an heirloom, then surely anything can. The word heirloom is an early 15th century word, and as you can see, it's made up of the word heir and the word loom. Now, we understand what heir means. It's someone who inherits something. But what about loom? Isn't a loom something that you weave cloth with? Yes, that's what it means now, as in uh, fruit of the loom, the clothes brand. But originally, the, the word loom did not just refer to something that you weave materials with. A loom or a loma meant any kind of a tool. So a fork is a loom, and a food mixer is a loom, and a power tool is a loom, and a flashlight is a loom, and a watch is a loom, a Swiss army knife is a loom, and yes, a loom is a loom. Any kind of tool is a loom. So when you look at the word heirloom like that, suddenly it makes sense why we call something that that we bequeath to another an heirloom, because it's a tool or an implement, something of use that we hand on to the next generation. So when does a thing or a tool or a loom become an heirloom? When it's passed on to an heir. Let's keep that thought, let's keep that thought in our mind as we continue. Now, uh, before we actually look at the passage itself, we need to understand that there are two ways to exegete or interpret today's passage. The first is the obvious way. It's to focus on the miraculous healing that took place, and it really is incredible. Acts 9 verse 40 says this, Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. 
This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This passage is so full of drama. Tabitha is sick, and then she dies. And the disciples in Joppa know that Peter is only 17 kilometers away in Lydda, which is the distance from Cornerstone to Walmart over in Barhaven. He comes quickly, arriving on the same day. He goes upstairs in her house. He empties the room. He kneels. He prays. He turns to Tabitha's corpse. He tells her or it to get up. She opens her eyes, sits up. He helps her to her feet, and everyone is encouraged, and many believe in Jesus. Amazing. Praise the God who heals, even from death. And if you need to know that we serve a miracle-working God who answers prayer and can do the impossible, then perhaps this is what God needs you to hear. So keep praying. Keep trusting him. Don't give up hope. And yet this morning, we're going to focus on something else in the passage. We're going to draw from the testimony of Scripture, not the miracle itself, but what type of person Tabitha or Dorcas was, particularly what was it about her that, that, that caused her group of friends to insist that one of the original or the OG apostles travel 17 kilometers in one day. We all know grief or loss, and for some of us, it's lurking on our shoulder right now. It's here, it's present, it cuts deep. It's like a physical pain that we simply cannot shake. This sadness overshadows sometimes even the happiest moments of our life, which is why Mother's Day, for many of us, is a time of sadness, not of joy. And when we think of our loved ones who died, there are times when we imagine what would it be like to see them again. We wish that we could have just one more chat with them or eat with them again, or we long to be able to go uh, to them for advice or simply to sit in their presence quietly for 15 more minutes. And so we come to the crux of our passage Acts 9.36, in Joppa, there was a, a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her, her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. There are a few things that we know about Tabitha from these verses. Number one, she lived in, in Joppa, this coastal town, this famous Joppa that Jonah fled from on his way to Tarshish so that he could avoid God's call on his life. We also know that she was a disciple. The Greek word mathetria is used here. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament, which seems to indicate that she may have been some sort of a leader in her local church. We also know from this passage that she had two names. Uh, her name was, was Tabitha in Aramaic, and it was Dorcas in Greek. And we also know that she was always doing good and helping the poor. We also find out that she was sick and that she died from her sickness, and then she was washed and she was placed in an upstairs room, uh, which most likely means that she was fairly well off. off. She was wealthy. And she was, uh, quote-unquote, important enough so that the disciples in Joppa contact Peter, who is in nearby 
Lydda, he was there, and he just healed uh, a guy called, called Aeneas, and this news had for sure reached Joppa, reached Tabitha's town. So they wanted to honor Tabitha, and so they call on Simon Peter. So to summarize all that we know about Tabitha, we could say that Tabitha was dead after having lived a good life. Acts 9.39, uh, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. Uh, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. What do we see here? Well, we see that Peter is taken upstairs, and we see that he meets a group of widows, uh, now, no family is mentioned here, which leads us to conclude that Tabitha was probably a widow herself. That sounds reasonable. And then the widows are crying. So clearly this is someone that they loved, that they had strong affection for. And they're showing him the robes and other clothing that she made while she was still with them. Now, I want us to remember this, this, this important, powerful image that in their grief, the women are showing Peter, like physically drawing his attention to the things that Tabitha made while she was still alive. In English, it reads robes and other clothing, but the Greek actually uses two specific words here. The first is chiton, which um, refers to an inner garment like a shirt, and then the second is hemation, which refers to a coat or a cloak. Uh, these are the same two items that, are, that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt or your chiton, hand over your coat or your hemation as well. And so what Luke is indicating in, uh, in our passage in Acts chapter 9 is that Tabitha was responsible for clothing these widows entirely. One commentator says that, that, that in, in those days then, orphans and widows were the most economically vulnerable. No government safety net was there to catch them. So it looks like Tabitha was the difference between total destitution for these women and having some kind of security. One other writer takes this idea even further. Says Tabitha may have led the widows in a ministry of good works or employed them in a shop that enabled them to support themselves while also caring for the needs of others. Nowadays we would call this micro-enterprise like World Hope Canada helping smallholder farmers in Cambodia growing mushrooms and then helping transport those mushrooms to market. This is micro-enterprise, not just giving people a handout, uh, a, a handout but, but giving them a hand up. And this is why Cornerstone has launched uh, the Get On Project, trying to help four refugee women from Ukraine get online with a Chromebook and get on the road with driving lessons so that they can find a job and then drive to the job and aren't reliable on p other people's availability all the time. Each woman needs $1,250. Last count, we've raised $1,530, which is amazing. We have raised already enough for one refugee woman to have a Chromebook and driving lessons. That's one woman down, 
and three to go. So let's, let's keep this going and raise the remaining 3,470 in the spirit of Tabitha. Here's another example. Just this past week, we gave shelter to another homeless friend here in our building. And after, after talking with him, it became clear to me that sometimes people just need help on that first step in their journey. You see, if they can't uh, find a job, then they can't get a house. And if they don't have a house, it's hard to get a job. They're caught in this vicious cycle. Uh, it's near to impossible to make a doctor's appointment if you don't have a vehicle or a place to call home, or if you lose your phone and you don't have the money to top up the credit. And if you combine that with many times mental health issues. And these widow women were in a similar situation. Society had no safety net for them. But Tabitha, in the context of the local church, ministered to them and helped them get on their feet with a full wardrobe, perhaps even teaching them the skills to create their own income and help others. These women were Tabitha's heirloom. They were her legacy. No wonder they were so sad. Acts 9.40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented, them to, uh, presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, we don't want to stay on this part for too long. Um, it's a miracle. It's amazing. No one's expecting it, but God's power channeled through Peter brings Tabitha to life. And he calls for the believers, especially the widows, and presents her to them alive. Can you imagine that? Hey, quick, the apostle Peter has called the church together at the house of Tabitha. But hold on a sec. I'm at work, and isn't she dead? Yeah, she is, but apparently this is important. You've got to come. Okay, I'll be there. Hey, boss, is it okay if I take my lunch now? So they run to Tabitha's house, and we see these widows crying, and Peter is standing there with a ludicrous grin on his face. Thanks, everyone, for coming, he says. May I present to you Tabitha, a real miracle. And verse 42 says that this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in Jesus. What we see in this verse is that the reason that God raised Tabitha was from the dead was so that many people would believe. God didn't raise Tabitha because she'd earned the right, right? Sometimes we are tempted to think that, especially in our grief, okay, God, would you bring back my loved one because they were so good and this world needs them? But that's not what we read here. Tabitha's resurrection wasn't a reward for her good life. Rather, it was a miracle that led people to Christ. You know, the normal course of events in a believer's life is this. You live for Jesus, and you die in Jesus, and then your spirit goes to be with him in paradise, which is kind of like a waiting room or like a train station. And then when the end of time comes, Jesus comes, returns, and he brings heaven to earth, uh, and then you will take up residence on this new earth in your resurrection body. Okay, people don't generally come back. And, and like I said, even 
for those who do, like Tabitha, it's not a reward. Why would you want to leave paradise with Jesus and have your spirit reunited to your unglorified body here on this old earth? So, even though Scripture doesn't say it, I would imagine that it would have been more of a shock than a pleasant surprise for Tabitha to wake up in her upstairs room. But awake she did, and she saw Peter. She sat up and she met the people who, were, who loved her and who were wearing the clothes that she'd made for them. They were literally wearing the heirlooms that they had inherited from her. Anything can be an heirloom. As we heard earlier, a watch is just a watch until someone decides to recategorize it as an heirloom. Now it has value. What about a human rib? A human rib is just a human rib and someone, until someone decides to pass it on. Now it's an heirloom. And when we look at the meaning of these two words, heir and loom, we get this sense of something, of, of an heirloom being something of use that we hand on to the next generation. And so we have Tabitha, or Dorcas, who is dead. Sure, she's then resurrected, but she will die in another 5, 10, 20, 30 years. So the issue for us this morning isn't whether Tabitha was raised to life again. The question on the table is, what was Tabitha's heirloom? What is it about her life that caused the church to grieve so powerfully? What is it about Tabitha's life that inspired the local church in Joppa to call the apostle Peter to take to travel the four hours uh, as a sign of respect? Remember, they had no idea that God, through Peter, would raise her. So, what was it about her? What was Tabitha's heirloom? What is the thing that the next generation would remember her for? Was it the fact that she was named? Many women in the Bible, and many men for that matter, are not named, but Tabitha is named. So was it her, her reputation? Was her name her heirloom? Or was it the fact that she was a disciple? Only one time, like I said in the New Testament, is this word uh, mathetria used, and it's used of Tabitha. But that's not to say there weren't other female disciples, but we only read it once. Here, she was a disciple on par with the rest of the disciples. Some say that the use of the word mathetria means that she was a, lo- a leader of the local church. So was her leadership her heirloom? Or was it the fact that she appears to have had a cross-cultural ministry? She was known by both her Greek name of Dorcas and her Hebrew name of Tabitha, which makes it seem like she moved between both worlds. And so in her little corner of the world in the coastal trading town of Joppa, it's perhaps fair to say that she could well have had an international ministry. Were her cross-cultural connections then her heirloom? Or was it the fact that she was most likely financially well-off? After all, she funded an important ministry and she had a two-story house. Is this why the Joppa church summoned Peter to honor her? Was it because of her money or her finances? Was this her heirloom? Or perhaps it was her relatability. Maybe this is why she was remembered. She was loved by the widows. And was she loved by the widows because she was a widow herself? Was her heirloom the fact that she was one of us, her relatability? 
Or maybe in, it was, in part, it was all of these things. That she would be remembered for her name, her reputation, her leadership, her cross-cultural ministry, her financial acumen, and her, her generosity, her relatability. All important things. And yet, even though all of these were important, I suspect that Tabitha's heirloom, her thing of use, this thing that she passed on to the next generation, is something else. And it's revealed in verse 39. All the widows stood around Peter, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Friends, every time the, the, these widow women put on their inner garments and their outer garments, they felt the handiwork of Tabitha. Her heirloom was actually an heirloom in the literal sense of the word, a thing that she wove with her own hands and her own resources. This was the thing that the widow women showed Peter. They said, look, look at this. Look at what she's made. This is what we will remember her for. And that leads me to think that in the midst of her own loneliness, as a widow, she crafted community. She created it. She clothed some of the most vulnerable people in society, and they remembered her for it. She came alongside them and said, you're not alone in your hard time. She identified with them and loved them, and she weaved and on an actual loom, something that they could wear, something that they could show others and say, this is the type of person that Tabitha was. She loomed her own heirloom. It's Mother's Day today. So for a moment, let me speak a word of encouragement to any woman or any man who hurts on Mother's Day for whatever reason. You do not need to have a blood relative to create an heirloom. Look at Tabitha. Most likely no husband or children. Yet no one could say that she did not pass on an heirloom. No one could say that she did not have a community that missed her. A family made up of those without a family. And this, for me, is the beauty of the body of Christ, of the church. It's a family, a real family, not of human blood, but with the blood of Jesus flowing through our hearts. Maybe you don't have mad weaving skills like Tabitha, or financial security, or a cross-cultural ministry, or a position of leadership. But there is something that Tabitha had that you also possess. And that is the ability to take your lived experience and to come alongside others who are going through the very same thing and to say to them, you are not alone. Jesus loves you and I'm here for you. And through your words and your actions, your presence and your relatability, your resources and your skills, you can restore their dignity just like Tabitha did. A friend of mine, Natalie, shared with our Grew Group on Monday that she was in Walmart last weekend and a stranger came up to her and said, excuse me, the Lord told me to tell you that he loves you. 
My friend will remember those words for years. This is an heirloom. This man was living in the spirit of Tabitha when he told Natalie those words that the Lord told me to tell you that he loves you. There's a group of women in the church who are using their own money and creative skills to make bath fizzers to raise money for four Ukrainian refugees. These women are using their hands to create something that will make a difference. These women are moved by the same spirit that moved Tabitha. They are heirlooming. Last Sunday in our church family pizza lunch, um, I heard three major themes. Number one, that we as Cornerstone need to remember our identity and our history. Number two, that we as Cornerstone need more of the Holy Spirit. And number three, that we as Cornerstone need to be reaching out into our community. That is living in the spirit of Tabitha. This is how we as a church create an heirloom that continues long after we die. As we remember who we are, what, I, what our identity is, is as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and as we reach out into the community. We loom our own heirlooms. So what heirloom are you weaving? Using your skills, your gifts, your passion, your experience to restore the dignity and honour to people who need to know that Jesus loves them and that they have a place. People just like you. So who will be there at your funeral? And what heirloom will they be showing? It's never too late to start weaving.